Welcome to Unofficial Canon, a Star Wars podcast. My name is Taven. I'm Brendan. And the time has finally come. We have finally made it through through the desert and the and and deep space, I suppose would be a better metaphor. But we're here ready to do our Rogue One deep dive. I think desert works. There was a lot of Tatooine in some of the movies we had to watch I, before this. So You make a very good point. A very good point. Um so yeah, we're 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 it feels like it's been a while like we've been talking about this for like two months maybe three like since we came back basically basically yeah and and now we're finally here so we're we're ready to jump right into it before we do that we have the uh traditional back to the normal routine brendan the housekeeping as it were so again welcome to unofficial canon (laughs) Uh, as some of you may have known, we went away for a little while and we came back thanks to the help of some uh, wonderful p- Patreon members that we didn't realize we had until they were gone. So uh, we felt like we should come back and thank them. So we did and we got a couple other Patreon members and that's why we're we're doing this still. And uh, we're looking at, you know, what it's going to take to do this long term uh, and it's going to take you know, some money, some 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 willing participants on our Patreon page. Uh, you can support us. I think it's like five dollars. Depends which country you're in, Canada or the states, and what the exchange rate's at. But like, I think it's like it's like five bucks. Really, you can you can support the podcast. So um, if you like to do that, do that. If you you know things are weird, it's a weird time. Pe- lots of people are out of work. We get it. Don't feel like you have to support us if you know the decision is you know, five dollars to the Patreon or getting dinner one night. Like Buy dinner. Get, Buy get dinner. dinner. Yeah. Treat yourself a little bit. <laughs> Go to Taco Bell. Get yourself whatever you can get for five dollars. I'm assuming like a quarter of the menu. But again, a weird time. Things may have changed there. It's been a while since I price checked Taco Bell, but your your figures add up for for my experience of that place i'm starting to feel old every time i go to a fast food restaurant i'm like i remember when i could come in here with 20 dollars and leave with the entire menu it's just not like that anymore but anyway uh that's i mean that's housekeeping like check out our patreon there's exclusive episodes there we do production diaries um and again you're you're we're really trying to get back to that weekly schedule regular uh release date basically just gonna take whatever funds you guys give us and give them to other people to like edit the show and things so we don't have to worry about it that, that's the idea that's the dream and uh you know given that the my first four pages on rogue one of notes that i took uh cover about 20 minutes of the, mo- the movie and it took me about two hours to write those up i could really use the time to do research instead of edit so uh that would be nice uh but i think without further ado let's just let's just jump into it i i've kind of forgotten how we start these things these deep dives so have i i think we just i think we just just do it yeah i guess we'll start with the very beginning of the movie which is a shot of a planet a ringed planet similar to saturn um and a imperial shuttle of some kind descending onto it now this is where the insanity of my notes begins Brendan. <laughs> well i'm glad it starts at the start because i'd be concerned if your four pages started 15 minutes into the movie and then you know you got sidetracked for four pages so what have you got 
I'm always interested in where these planets are in relation to each other in the galaxy. It is unfortunately very, very difficult to determine because Disney hasn't really released an official map. So for context, I know people can't see us, Brendan, but this is this is the the best official released map. This is Star Wars Galactic Maps. And the very front of the book is like a galactic map. Um, I specifically I specifically chose to reference this book because on the very front of it, there is a sticker that says includes a map from Star Wars Rogue One. Oh, okay. So it is it is updated to the movie that we're looking at. It should be updated to Rogue One. Now, again, no one can see this, but just for context, the majority of this book is like a Where's Waldo-esque search thing. So can we trust this book? Probably not. Probably not. But I have cross-referenced it with other maps, you know, online that people have made, and it in no way matches up with anything. Which is fun, but this is this is the closest we have to an official map. So, the planet that we start on this kind of farming planet, where the, with the where we find out that the Ursos have been kind of hiding out, is called Lamu. It is literally a farming planet. That is all this planet is used for, officially. <laughs> right. It's just where you put your crops. One other another thing that I'm kind of always interested when we talk about Star Wars planets is like. Did you take an existing planet and kind of change it? Or has this showed up before? Or is this a brand new planet? So this planet, Lamu, was made brand new for Rogue One. This is a Disney planet. It's not something from Legends that they moved over. Although it's possible there was a similar planet that somebody took inspiration for. I mean, again, Star Wars planets are not complicated. There's only one biosphere on the entire planet, and that's how it is, right? Yep. So Lamu is like a very green, kind of wet rainy uh, a planet, at least from what we see um, in the film. So fun fact. Now, I, before we continue, I need to explain something. So some of these facts I started to drill into and okay. try to figure out where they come from. And some of them I just like within three clicks, I gave up because it was going to be far too deep. So, uh, Lamu, again, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that, is actually a Neomodian Oh, word, okay. And it means prosperity. Okay. Which, <laughs> okay, I understand the idea of a farm planet mm-hmm. being named for prosperity. I don't understand basically the Ferengi of Star Wars yeah. calling a farm, a farm planet prosperity. It, se- it seems an odd choice for the money makers, the Trade Federation, if you will, because that's how they got introduced to us. It It's not weird that they have a farm planet. That makes sense because they got to eat. But it is weird that they'd be like prosperity. It, to me, you know, it would mean like food bowl. <laughs> yeah. Right. And they, they'd have prosperity be the planet that's nothing but whatever star wars gold is you know well and when i was looking up the planet's location in relation to everything else i was wondering like oh maybe their home planet is nearby because i'm like why 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 this name why did it stick right i thought oh maybe they're in the same no not their planet is not anywhere 
close. No, because this feels like it would have to be a very far out outer rim planet. So, th- yeah, this is an outer rim planet. So to give you context, from what I can figure out, given the very official, obviously detailed Disney map that I'm working on, is that this is basically on the opposite side of the galaxy from like Tatooine and Naboo. Okay. This is outer rim, but it's like right directly to their side. Like Jakku is closer to this place. It, it's it's in the the Ryobalo. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. Sector. When I was kind of cross referencing, the only known or other talked about planet, the major planet in there is Dantooine. Okay. So for those that may don't maybe don't know, right? Dantooine was, I think, first introduced in A New Hope, when you know Tarkin was asking Princess Leia, "Where's the Rebel base?" and she had said Dantooine. And then, and then through Rebels and other canon, they've kind of retconned that like Dantooine at one time was an important center to the rebellion, but by the time of Rogue One, it was like it was they were all they were on Yavin Four. They had they had moved out basically. Exactly. To add more mystery to this planet, we haven't. By the way, I like just to mention we have not talked about the movie yet. So you're welcome. This is what. This is what a deep dive is. We haven't even landed on the planet yet. We're still up in space looking we're, at the ring. To... We're 15 seconds into this movie exactly. so far. So get ready, everybody. This is going to be the deepest deep dive we've ever done. I you can tell Taven's been itching to do this for a while. I I have been cross-referencing all of the books and all of the <laughs> internet and everything in, in, in preparation for this. Um, but anyway, so to, to put more confusion to what this planet is in the book master and apprentice which if you're not familiar is like a qui-gon jinn obi-wan story there's reference to them have visiting lamu specifically a royal fortress okay i couldn't find the exact passage in the book like i couldn't find i i, I had the book i wasn't about to flip Re- the whole reread the whole thing yeah yeah but from what I recall, there's a because they go to another planet with like a you know a royal family and a fortress, and there's a, you know the politics of royalty and all that jazz going on, and I think it's just like a reminiscing or like comparing it to other times that they've gone to similar situations. But that's kind of interesting because it means that at, at least at one point Lemu had royalty. Well, at one point within Obi Wan's lifetime, which is even stranger to me. That's just, it kind of makes it like, why did Urso pick this planet with a planet king or queen to hide out on? That doesn't seem low profile to me. There's, well, who can know? Well, and and again, that would have been, that would have been way before Clone Wars, right? That would have been, you know, Obi-Wan is a Padawan, right? So, you know, with the changing of the guard from a when we had a republic and an independent systems civil war, who knows where that planet landed, and then you know when the republic became the empire, it's just a toss up, right? You have no idea what's going on. Well, and I guess that planet was on the quote unquote wrong side of the Clone War if it was Nemodian, because then it would have been part of the separatists. True. So, so yeah, maybe. It's, it's, yeah, it's hard to say. Uh, and then the last fact that I have about Lamu, again, there's not that much because we, we made a new planet and we've just tangentially filled in 
canon probably for the last four years um, is that apparently in some comic book, it's established that the Galactic Republic in its last 10 years started a campaign to have people move to this planet. Okay. To, so to... that makes even less sense because now you're establishing this was a Galactic Republic planet. Yeah. And B, during a time of war and turmoil, you're like, hey, guys, move to this you wanna, planet. You want to be a farmer? We need to grow some clone food. You know they eat the same things we do. So uh, hop onto this this transport. The planet used to have a king, but don't ask about it. Just put your crops in the ground. You're fine. It's a great investment. But then clearly not a lot of people took the Republic up on that offer. Well, and this is the thing about Star Wars is it's like in a world where droids are a thing, like you don't need a lot of people to farm, right? Like when we get onto the planet, we see, you know, there's droids working away and stuff. And actually in the book, it's it's it it it. It basically says, like, Galen is, like, the worst farmer on the face of the planet, and it's only because of the droids that, like, they've had any success. I believe it. I be- he's he's a weapons designer. It's like, bring an Oppenheimer, instead of designing, you know, working on the Manhattan Project, it's like, okay, Mr. Oppenheimer, please grow wheat. Galen is actually, and we can get into this a little bit later, though, but, like, Galen technically is not a weapons producer. He's, like... He's like an Einstein where he's right. like he's creating theories in his mind that explain how suns work and how kyber crystals work. And then those theories are being used in order to create those weapons, more or less. So gotcha. Still, either either way, that doesn't mean he's a good farmer. No, definitely not. And 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 it's clear that even in his mind, he is he is not a great farmer. But I think with that, we've landed on the planet. <laughs> so let's talk about the planet. So uh, essentially what's happened is that um, Galen, his wife, uh, or I'll say a guy named Galen. Like we're at, we're talking like we know who this is yet. This guy named Galen, his wife, uh, Lyra, and their daughter, Jin, have been hiding out on this planet uh, for an unknown amount of time. Mm-hmm. Now, we can speculate how long they've been on here. But again, it becomes very confusing. And I would like to just put a little note in here at this point, because I will return to it. I have a whole theory about why, what this, what this whole scene was originally. Okay. Like it's pretty clear to back up for those that don't know. Rogue one had major reshoots. Yes, it did. They had a shadow director writer come in he basically rewrote three quarters of the movie, which was the same shadow writer director they brought in for um, Gareth Edwards' Godzilla movie. Yeah, which is funny. <laughs> which, if I was Tony Gilroy, I'd just be like, "All right, Gareth, you take care of like filming scale," because I think I think that's one of his strengths, right? Yeah, and you can see it in this movie with some of the shots of the Death Star, like. Mm. Mm, really well done but just give gareth that and then let tony gilroy take care of everything else and you're take gonna care wind of up the plot with, the characters yeah. the pacing everything else um you're gonna wind up with a great movie yeah uh, anyway we will come back after we've gotten through all this i'd like to go back and like discuss what i think originally happened because especially reading the book because it's harder to hide edits in books 
especially when you change things so dramatically because then character motivations just don't make any sense yep. anymore, right? So we'll, we'll go back to that. Um, but, but going back to how long they've been on this planet. So this is, this is the confusing part for me. So um, at some point in this movie, they, um, they, they have like this flashback scene on Coruscant, right? Where we see uh, Galen and our villain who has yet to be introduced, Krennic, uh, and, um, you know, I think his wife, there is there too. And, you know, it's Coruscant, they're adults and it's supposed to be kind of like a point of view from Jin. Yeah. Yeah. Which means that like Jin was born on Coruscant and the, the most confusing thing to me, and this is where I'm like, I think this, cause, okay, let me, let me start this first. Brendan, I still think this movie is good. Mm-hmm. But I'm starting to see the cracks. <laughs> I'm starting to see where they, you know, put a hole in the wall and tried to like mask it up with a nice Star Wars poster. And when the wind comes through, I can see that, you know, there's there's nothing behind there. Because okay, you're saying, okay, this this little girl was born on Coruscant and she has memories. So you have to go she's at least two. Because children just don't form memories before two. You can argue that with me, but every scientific paper and doctor will say that like kids just don't retain anything until they're about two years old. Then they start to retain memory, right? At, at least visceral memory that they can recall, right? Like they yeah, retain, yeah. they learn, but they don't, they just don't remember in such vivid detail like, like humans normally do. So then you go, okay, so she's two, she's born on Coruscant and she's two. So when Krennic shows up, in the movie, it acts like he doesn't know that there's a daughter at all. Yeah, yeah. Specifically with the line, they have a child, find it. It. It's like a little subtle writing cover. Because he clearly knows that Jin's Jin and is a little girl. It's very weird. And in the book, it makes it feel like he doesn't know at all. Like it's through a series of information that he understands that... Anyway, it's it's fine. We'll just move over. So anyway, the I'll go the, the point I'm trying to make is that okay, so Jin Jin was two let's say she was two when they left Coruscant, right? Like she she had that memory, then she was right off to 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 space. Which means that they've been on this world for about six years now. Yeah. Because we know she's eight on Lamu. We know that she's twenty one at the in the in the case of a new hope. So that means that Galen was probably working on Project Stardust for about for about two, three years before they ran off, right? Because it's a 21-year, or I guess, how old is Luke? 19 or 21? Uh, between 18 and 22, I think. But they don't, they, they don't specify. So it's possible then with that timeline that they deserted when the Republic fell. Well, that gets that gets tricky because cause they don't get because, well, they don't get the plans for the Death Star until Revenge of the Sith. Right. And they yes. don't start construction of it until at the end of that movie. But my argument would be that the work that Galen was doing with Krennic at that point could have purely been on, you know, harnessing new energy sources. OK, yeah, no, I'll buy into that. He was looking into how to harness the kyber crystal to be some kind of energy source. 
not necessarily the power core of the Death Star. Yeah. And and it, even in the book, it actually there's a couple things that um, they establish when Krennic and him are talking. But anyway, let's back up a little bit. So in the movie, we get, you know, the shuttles coming in to land. We've got kind of like that gray, I'd say almost like Northern Ireland, Southern, like Ireland, Scotland, kind of like green mountainous rocky terrain kind of thing going on uh the shuttle lands and we meet our villain who is in all white despite not having the rank to technically wear white in uh you know the imperial navy but that's fine look i figure krennic is just high enough up in the chain of command that he can get away with doing a lot around dress code, which would explain why he's also rocking a cape. Well, I think it's all a technicality because he's like, I get the sense that he actually doesn't technically hold a military rank. I would agree with that. He's more of a sciencey, like a military sciencey guy. Yeah. And I didn't look, I, this is the part that I didn't look out of all the things I looked into. I haven't looked into this. I didn't look uh, it up either. Look into it in the next episode, but yeah, it, it's, it's he is way more a bureaucrat, right? Like he it's clear that he doesn't really do anything. He just like manages people and projects. Exactly. And that's why much later when he's talking to Vader, he's really concerned about the credit going to him because that's yes. all he has. Yeah, I think so, too, because the other thing that the book that establishes that's kind of interesting, you know, not to jump, keep jumping ahead to, you know, their conversation, but it establishes that they were f- they like Galen and Krennic have been friends for a long time. In the book, they use the term childhood. Like we okay. grew up together. So I'm thinking, I'm, I don't think they were like, you know, in kindergarten together, but you know, maybe adolescence, right. Grow, you know, young adults kind of thing. So, you know, you think about Krennic as a character and you think, okay, here's a guy who doesn't, can't really do anything. He's, but he's really good at harnessing, and managing these really smart people. And then, you know, maybe he gets a little bit of funding from the Republic to do some research into power stuff. Galen gets on board. That's great. And then the Empire falls. The Republic falls. We're sorry, the Republic falls. The Empire rises. Suddenly there's a completely, like, blank slate as far as command structure and power. And maybe Krennic falls into a place where his project perhaps in the eyes of Tarkin Mm -hmm. is super valuable. And it's almost like a switch. The guy just changes overnight. Galen doesn't like what he sees. Maybe he finds out the research is going to be used and then they, they off world it. Right. Not to bring it back to bad patch, but you know, kind of the same concept, right? Like, Oh, this isn't so good. Maybe we should leave. Okay. We've jumped all over the place. I'm going to go back. Krennic steps off his shuttle. (laughs) Krennic steps off his Delta class shuttle, more specifically a T dash three C shuttle. Oh, which according to can, I was trying to, I was, I was flipping through. I have a couple of books about like very catalog star Wars vehicles. Um, I got a bunch of legend stuff too. And I'm always interested to see if like they, like, you know, there was something from the old canon that they just kind of changed the design a little bit. And they were like, it's a, it's a, this, um, and I couldn't really find anything. This ship is produced by, uh, again, you might be, be able be able to pronounce this name better than I can because I know you were a big 
fan a of the old big Legends ship stuff. nerd. Uh, the Senar C- Fleet Systems. Okay, yes, yeah. Senar. Senar. I don't know. I always call it Senar. So yeah, strangely enough, the shuttle uh, is designed by uh, Senar or whatever we decided it was, uh, which uh, they you know created the Tie uh, line. Which, if you look at all their other ship designs, this thing is, like, completely different. I would say this has more in common with, like, the Intelcom T-16 Skyhopper. Right, yeah. Or even or even a little bit, but not really, the, uh, the Lambda-class shuttle from the original trilogy. A little bit. The Lambda is way more curved, though, right? Yeah. Like, it's, it's not quite as utilitarian as as the shuttle looks and so this got me really interested of course so i did i this is one of the rabbit holes that i went far too down so there is there's a couple of places where it's established that basically what happened was that krennic saw this design for their ship like just the just the blueprints right like the, this was something that like uh, a sinar designer engineer was like playing with and and then he saw it and he's like, yeah, I need one of those. <clears throat> so they built one. They built just one. Well, maybe they built two, but there's there's nowhere else in canon does the shuttle show up. Ever. No. So he's rolling around in a prototype. Now, going outside of canon to be a bit meta, the reason the shuttle exists is it's a halfway step from the Lambda class to the Kylo Ren shuttle. That's what this is. Yeah, because it's got the the ridiculously large wings. Yeah, which actually, interestingly enough, <laughs> God damn it, my brain now is just full of shuttle facts. So the shuttle is specifically designed for deep space contact. The so the wings are actually giant antennas. Oh, okay. So the idea is that you don't need to be near. You, you could be pretty far from like a hollow net relay and still have communication in deep space. What else do I know about the shuttle? It's actually pretty poopy when it comes to weaponry. It's got like a couple of cannons on the belly of it. And apparently you can modify it. So it's got some kind of cannons on the tips of those wings. Hmm. But that's about it. Well, I'm just, I'm just glad to know how we got a halfway point to Kylo Ren shuttle from a shuttle that came about potentially before or at the same time as the much better Lambda. Yes. So going back to the movie as Krennic shuttle lands and he gets off and he's got a, you know, not a battalion, but like a a squad of death troopers with him and they're kind of fanning out. We cut to uh, Casa de uh, Orso where they are kind of packing up, getting ready to leave um, we have the very famous little scene with uh, Galen and Jin where he's, you know, it's the I love you, Stardust. I love you, Papa. Kind of happy, fun times. Uh, and then Lyra and Jin go off and they run off. Right. They're going to this predetermined hiding place where they've just called Sagarera. He's going to meet them there and take them off world, basically. And Galen's plan is I will slow Krennic down. Right. Because I, because I'm the one he wants, right? And um, whatever else. Now, Lyra's not crazy about this idea, obviously, because it's a no-win scenario, right? He's gonna get taken. So yeah, so that happens. They run off. 
uh, Galen goes out to meet Krennic. They have a little bit of a chat. Uh, I've already kind of gone over in the book. It's way, it's much more extended. The, the nice thing about books too, is that like a character will say something and then the book will either have their thinking or why they said that, or do they regret saying that or whatever else. So, um, uh, it's kind of interesting from that fact, but yeah, there's a lot of things that they, they, they add, like, um, the book specifically talks about, you know, Krennic is the, the people person. He doesn't really know how to do anything. And Galen was the guy who knew how to do things. And that's why they kind of made a good team. Um, they were friends, they were childhood friends, supposedly. And the other thing that's really important that I wish they would have put in the, the movie is that Galen, Galen's just like, says like, if I had known what you had me working on, I wouldn't have had anything to do with it to begin with. That would have been a nice line to have tossed out here. Cause it's, it's yeah, it's weird to whatever. Um, anyway, so while they're chatting, Lyra decides that taking care of her child who is eight years old is less important than trying to face like eight death troopers with a blaster. Mm -hmm. Well, it's cause you know, saw is such a family man. Oh Yeah. Definitely. I mean, he. we've seen every time he shows up in Star Wars canon, we see his very soft side, right? He's yep. very warm, very fatherly. But anyway, so basically for reasons unknown, again, we're. I'm going to return to this after this. She goes off into the field with a blaster. Um, in the book, it describes that, like, she thinks that, like, Krennic is so cowardly that if she gets the drop on him and is like, listen you're going to like, just let us go this time. You're going to get us again. And then you'll capture us. Like, don't let be a coward back off. You'll have it. You'll, you'll get another chance. And obviously that doesn't go to plan. Well, the death troopers aren't really cowards. No. So that well, kind of, so, so what happens in the movie is that like, she runs over, she drops the sack that's hiding a, a blaster, right? The death troopers are trained on her. Krennic tells them to wait right and then they have a bit of a chat and then krennic goes basically signals to the death troopers just to shoot her yep and she manages to get one shot in before that and and wound him and but she dies a horrible horrible death which by the way eight-year-old jen she's watching from the rocks (laughs) which again it's a stupid move i don't know why she is just stupid it's you know, it might have something to do with Lyra's attire, because it is pretty damn Jedi adjacent. Well, we'll get back to that, too. <laughs> uh, so then Jin f- hides to, goes and hides in this hiding spot, and then Sakurera comes and gets her, and Galen goes with Krennic. So basically all that happens in the book. I've already talked about a little bit about how their conversation was different. The book does a really bad job of selling Lyra's motivations, it's just kind of like, and then she did it because she was stu- <laughs> she was stupid. And then like it's, it describes her thoughts while she's dying. And it's basically like, wow, I really messed up. <laughs> I'll say this about the first chapter of this book, which is this whole scene, is it really feels like the author was forced to go back and rewrite it and just didn't give a shit yeah. anymore. That's or how it fe- was under such a tight deadline that they couldn't. Well, I'm sure they delivered the book and then they were like, oh, by the way, we've completely changed story elements. You need to go back and change it. Exactly. Like We know this for a fact. We know that earlier drafts of the 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 script, especially 
when it came to Lyra's character was supposed to be, you know, either an ex Jedi or a kind of a member of the same, what was it? The guardians of the wills or something that, uh, you know, are, are a character we meet later on in the show is supposed to be, it's supposed to be kind of like a callback to that. So there's a couple things that are interesting in the book that I think point that, that are weird differences, but I think point to what originally was going to happen in this opening scene. So the first is that uh, in the movie, that whole conversation with Krennic Mm-hmm. happens in a field just a random field in the book it happens just outside their house okay galen greets them at the door and then the death trooper like he just steps aside the death troopers go into the house and they start rummaging through that's one big difference the other big difference is that the book doesn't straight out say this but one of the things that galen is doing when they're getting ready to leave is he's like wiping data off drives He's like destroying okay. droid memory and all kinds of things. And the book. And so I think that his original reason for staying was like, I need to finish this data purge before we can go anywhere. So I'll slow, I'll slow Krennic down. Right. And that'll be fine. It's just like in the movie tells him that his wife died a couple of years back or whatever. Right. But then that's a clear lie because the death troopers go in and there's like, it's clear that three people are living here. Right. And there's a child cause there's toys everywhere. Um, so he's not alone. And so like the information that Krennic like figures that out before Lyra shows up is, is built into the book. Um, and then the other thing that is a little bit different is that the, the amount of death troopers is different in the book. I can't remember exactly what it's in the movie, but like it establishes that like most of them are searching in the hut, which created an opening for her to get close to Krennic where in, where in the movie it's like you see her running from a million miles away right in the book she just pops up and then the line like oh it's Lyra what a miracle has a little more substance to it so anyway to say all this I think this is given given all this I think this is what this scene was originally going to be it was going to be an action set piece mm-hmm. to get the movie going right so we have Lyra, our guardian of the wills, some level of combat training, you know, force ability, decides that, you know, her husband had to stay too late at the place and he's basically captured now. And so she has to go save him. Right? She shows up, little bit of action sequence with the, the death troopers, maybe even in the hut, right? Mm-hmm. Why would we have the scene near the hut? If not, you know, we can we can we can film the crazy Jedi action sequence in a controlled set instead of this giant field where somebody could be on the cliff taking photos and, and then she dies. Cause then her motivation makes a little more sense because a mother would never leave her eight year old. No. And you know, if her intention is to fight, you wouldn't run out into an open field having the fight in, in the house that she lives in where she can be a little sneaky do some Jedi stuff that makes way more sense. And she's not abandoning her child and she's helping her husband. It makes way more sense to do it the way you described, but rewrites. Well, and I'll be honest. I don't think I, I'm not saying that necessarily would have been better long-term for the story. I think Lyra being a Jedi or force sensitive 
is too much for this movie, right? Like, especially this is supposed to be the like kind of grounded war Star Wars movie. Mm-hmm. We don't want lightsabers and flips and whatever else, right? So I, I completely understand that. Um, the other little change in the book that I, I'm remembering now um, is when, you know, she shoots Krennic. And basically what happens is that Krennic tells the Death Troopers to stop, and then they have they have a little back and forth, and then he's basically like, "If you want to die, shoot me." Right, and then, and then she shoots him. Then she shoots him, and the Death Troopers react and kill her, because Krennic in the book, Krennic's whole plan is to take them all alive. He doesn't want, you know. And even the other thing that's really interesting in the book is there's a scene on the shuttle when they're leaving between oh. Galen and Krennic. And it's really interesting because it kind of shows you kind of his Krennic's messed up thinking because he's like, they take Lyra's body with them and his intention is to give her a funeral for Galen. And he's like, you should be grateful. You should be grateful that we're going to take her back and we're going to bury her proper, right? Wow. That's... That... That's messed up. But, but I think what a great way to set up the thinking of Krennic. It would have been I that that's a character moment that would have been really interesting to see in the movie, especially that early on, because then you'd be like, this guy really doesn't think he's the bad guy. Exactly. <laughs> he does these gymnastics in his brain to make him the hero. Right. That was the most interesting part of that opening was just his thinking and whatever. The other thing that's really interesting about that scene, especially combined with, you know, how the book kind of sets up Galen's view on farming and whatever. Cause the, the book basically says like Galen views farming as a distraction. So he's not thinking about supernovas and how they work. And then like jotting down formulas and things, right? Like this, the, the fact that he's bad at farming is actually good because he, he can't, you know, quickly get it done and then have time to do other things. He's, he spends all his time trying to do a bad job at farming. But what's interesting on the shuttle is that they go through all this thing and he has all this indifference between Krennic. And then the very last thing is like, Krennic is like, are you ready to get back to work? And Galen looks up at him and goes, yes. <clears throat> See, I wish that scene had made it into the movie then. I think it's, I think it's, it's, it's complicated. That's what's good about it. Right. Mm-hmm. Is it's like you have, two characters that are in a situation they don't really want to be right galen doesn't really want to go back to work but at the same time does he want to be a farmer anymore i don't think he ever wanted to be a farmer no no of course not it was it was literally he did it for his you know his family well and what i like about that too is the motivation it sets up with krennic and i mean we see to be fair they've done a good job in this movie of of crafting him as a villain but it would have been nice to see that kind of interaction so you can, you know, actually see how he develops his thought process. It can be it, it's a risk to make decisions, making things ambiguous. And to be perfectly fair, things can get too ambiguous in movies really, really quickly. And especially a filmmaker like Gareth Edwards, I can imagine him liking that kind of ambiguous we don't know who the good guys are we don't know who the bad guys are but then disney coming in and being like listen we need to sell the red bad toys and we Mm -hmm. need to sell the blue and green good toys we can't we need to make this a little more clear cut right so little changes like 
Krennic ordering the Death Troopers to kill her and and things like that make him more of a villain. That the problem is it just makes him really two dimensional. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I mean, not to sidetrack, you know, let's talk about our favorite boy in blue, right? This is what kind of concerns me is that when I was writing these notes. I was like, oh my God, what happens when Thrawn comes to like live action and Thrawn is just a bad guy? I'm, I'm nervous about that too. The thing that's given me hope about our, our blue friend is that he's going to have in my headcanon for what's going to happen. He's going to have a Jedi with him and they're going to balance each other out. I think. (laughs) I think he's, I think he's going to be a big baddie. Well, but then what happened to Ezra? He he found a monkey and a genie <laughs> and he was able to wish his way out of the cave of wonders. And, and now he's trying to get the girl. Um, no, I don't know. I just know that like, if we look at the way and I'll, I'm going to say this and let's go back to rogue one. If we look at the way that like that question comes off in Mandalorian, mm-hmm. where is grand Admiral Thrawn? It's, there's no way he's, you know, a neutral character or he, there is going to be a conflict there, 100%. Yeah. Um, yeah. I I still hope that when, you know, he actually shows up and Ahsoka and I'm sure Sabine and some others who are expecting a big conflict, maybe we'll get a surprise. Maybe, maybe it'll be, you know, Thrawn's Star Destroyer comes out of hyperspace and the first person they talk to is Ezra. And he's like, look, me and Thrawn had a talk. I don't know. I'm, I'm, he's, it's got me. It's got me nervous. But you know what? Right now for Star Wars nerves, I'm focused more on Obi-Wan than I am on what's going to happen with Thrawn. Thrawn's years away. Yeah, That's not got me nervous. We'll see what happens there. I mean, we can speculate all we want, but until we get some more evidence, I don't think there's any reason to. So, yeah. And then and then. Sagarera comes for Jin in the yep. book in the very same similar fashion. Sa- says the same lines too, which is nice. Um, although the book does describe him as like a, a dark man in bl- armor with scars, and I'm a little eight year old girl, and this is a little scary to me because <laughs> she's like expecting like her papa or someone, right? Yeah. And it's Sagarera, which saw. Yeah. Now, to be fair, at least he still had most of his brain at the time he picked up Jin when she was a kid. All right. And then the only other thing that I will mention that's in the book, that's not in the real movie is that they have these little like rebellion, like, um, like tactical informational, like spy reports in between chapters occasionally. Oh, so they have one right after the first chapter, which is basically, um, and it reads, you know, like a very standard, like military report. Right. And, and to sum it up is basically like uh, we recognize that there's reports of like uh, mass resource collection by the Empire or whatever. But looking into it, there's no hard data. There's no hard evidence that this is happening. But it should be noted that the Empire is interested in worlds with absolutely no real useful resources like Jetta. Oh, and that's where, that's where it kind of, kind of leaves that. 
I see. I think I understand why the book puts these in here, especially this one, because you know, jumping to the next part of the movie, uh, the next the next scene directly after farming is adult Jin waking up in a prison. Mm-hmm. She sees like a tentacle alien, and then we kind of like cut to another scene, which I'll just say it: the Poe scene or not Poe? Oh my god. <laughs> I was like, I'm Cassie pretty and sure, yeah. Cassie and Andor scene, and then it's it's a Bodhi Rook scene. So we we're, we're quickly introducing our all, three, all the players, our our players, yeah, more or less. So I want to talk about the the Cassie and Andor scene. Um, so in the movie, we uh, we see this kind of like asteroid field, and there's between these two asteroids, there's like this structure that's built. It's like holding them together. Uh, this place is called uh, the Ring of Kafrin. Kafrin. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you pronounce it. Like most good Star Wars movies, they put the little subtitle there when you see the planet. Um, d- digging into this planet. Um, because that's what we do now. <laughs> uh, so Kafrin is pretty old. Yeah. It was founded by Old Republic royalty. Well, that's real old really old so and and their goal was it was supposed to be like a strip mining operation for this asteroid belt their plan was like okay we'll build this central base and then we'll just like mine all the asteroids for the precious metals the mistake they made was they didn't check to see if there were precious metals in the asteroid belt before they spent all the money (laughs) building the base this is real this is canon How stupid were they in the Old Republic? So it was such a blunder that the official tagline of this, like, port city, it's basically a port city now, is where dreams go to die, which is just a great way to bring in the tourism. (laughs) What? uh, Oh, that's so... I can't decide if it's either really smart writing or really stupid writing it's hard it's always hard to say because <laughs> here's what's happened like Lemu, this was like we need an asteroid planet and mm-hmm. they were like here's an asteroid planet and then somewhere in a comic book somewhere someone was like ah, bah, 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 bah. and it was probably the adaptation like because they adapt all these movies into the in like four issue comic books mm-hmm. um, and they always like like comic books do. Again, guys, I'm going to remind you, we have hard evidence now that comic books are no longer canon. So don't treat them like canon. But they they were never canon. No. And they just make up stuff, right? And this this was probably one of them. It was like, ah, old Republic royalty. But, you know, they screwed it up real bad. So they're not around <laughs> no more. And now this is just like a deep space port city. Which again, for no reason. Well, and here's the other thing that I found really confusing, is that they're like, they're like it's a deep, it's like a deep space like port port city basically. That's all. That's all you do here is you land, you trade, you take off. That's basically all you do. It's just a hub. But then when you go and you look at where this is supposed to be, Kefrine is. Um, did I write it down in my notes? No, maybe I didn't because it was so the the information was so like polar opposite, so 
in conflict with one another that I was like, I'm not going to put it in. But basically the books are like, this is like a deep space place. And then you look at the, the sector and then you correlate it with another planet. And you're like, this is f-ing a core world. What? This is near the core. Why is this a deep space station? What are you talking about? So here's, here's what I love. Here's some headcanon. Way back in the old Republic, some Duke was like, I got to get rich. And the best way to do that is asteroid mining. And thankfully, there's a big asteroid belt pretty close to the core worlds. I'm going to build a city there and then we're going to mine everything. And one of his advisors is like, sir, should we maybe survey the asteroids? No, no, it's space asteroids. For sure, there's going to be something there. Builds the city, starts looking, nothing. Instead of giving up, no, we're close enough to the core worlds. We're a trade place now. Come on and bring your goods and um, trade them. We don't have anything to sell, but you can do your trading here. And then just for generations, people have just been continuing to do it. And so now it's like, yeah, of course we go there. That's where all the trading is. Why? There's nothing there. I'm trying to think of like a real world equivalent in my life. Like what's, what's like an, a little, little town in our little province of Alberta that like nobody really like go, but everybody stops there because they need gas or something. Nanton. Nanton. Exactly. What does Nanton have? They have a candy store and they have a couple of gas stations. Yep. That's it. Yeah, And if you're going between Calgary and Lethbridge, it's the place to stop. But other than that, so I'm there sure we go. I, I'm sure everybody knows of like a little town just between two cities. That they're yeah. Like, yeah. We don't know who lives there, but we do it. Uh, so that's caffeine. And uh, <laughs> on this planet, we are going to uh, meet uh, one of our main heroes. Uh, well, I'll say hero in quotation marks again. Um, not to get too ahead of ourselves, but um, I I don't want to say Poe Dameron again because that is very wrong. I want to say Cassian Andor. Yes, you do. The reason that I said that opening little report is important because in the book it's established that he his mission up to this point has been to check on these rumors of like mass resource collection by the Empire and all this. So he's been he's been everywhere from like. Cause I, cause he, in the book, it says like, I, I've been from Coruscant to this planet to here. And I like, I looked on this map mm-hmm. and I kind of correlated it with the, the, the Wikipedia map, the best one that they have on there. He's literally gone from one end of the galaxy to the core, to the other end of the galaxy, back to the core. So like he is, he is tired. <laughs> He has found absolutely nothing. Like he has followed multiple leads and they've all come up empty. Mm -hmm. And he's gotten word that one of his informants, uh, who is actually normally stationed on Jeddah, has come to uh, Kafreen or whatever it was called. I can never remember. To do some trading as you do. Well, to do some trading, but more importantly, trade in some information. Oh. And I think that's, we're one scene into the movie. I think that's where we're going to leave it for just, this episode. I just looked at the clock. That's a good call, David. 
Well, I'll be honest to all you and all our viewers. I was like, now let's talk about this. And then I looked down at my watch and I was like, no, we should not talk about that. <laughs> Listen, I hope that people like the deep dives because I'm, I'm not kidding. This is going to be our longest, deepest dive we have ever done. I am putting so much energy into my notes and researching things. Um, and I think part of that is because, you know, and you've been kind of being the um, setting the the foreshadowing for this. But like Rogue One is a good movie. Mm-hmm. I'm actually interested in Rogue One. I'm interested in how the canon connects and what they've done, especially when like Rogue One came out at the peak of that initial Disney Star Wars, right? We had Force Awakens, big $2 billion box office movie, right? And then they were like, we're going to try like these like uh, offshoot movies and see how it goes. And everyone was like, I don't know. And then Rogue One came out and it was like pandemonium. Yeah. Like it was insane. It was it, it well, and not to mention, at, I mean, I remember at that time when I walked out of Rogue One in the theaters the first time I saw it, I remember walking out thinking, that is way better than Force Awakens. And I liked Force Awakens. Yeah. But the, the, the reason I bring that up is because because it was at the peak, there is so much like synergy mm-hmm. as far as like every other Star Wars thing tied into this movie right yeah i had to do research and here's here's my little preview for, for future episodes i had to do ep, uh research on the star wars command mobile game to understand <laughs> to understand the canon around Jin urso's rescue <laughs> and that will probably be episode two so look forward to that i can't um, wait but with that said, guys, thanks for listening. As a reminder, check out our Patreon page. We are trying to hit that goal. We'll be perfectly honest. You know, we can't do this long term without you guys and hitting that first tier goal. That first tier goal is literally like we break even. The only thing we put into this is our time, more or less. And and we really need to get there, uh, you know, by the end of the year. That's kind of the goal. So really, if you really like the podcast and you're you're enjoying the Rogue One deep dive, because at this rate, it might take us two years to get through this movie. <laughs> Throw a couple bucks our way. Um, it's just going to go to, you know, giving someone, you know, some audio editor a job, more or less. Um, Brendan and I have no plans to ever take money just as our paycheck. You're 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 paying for our hosting and you're paying so that we can bring more people on, so that we can do more cool stuff. Stuff beyond the podcast. Mm. Which you can get some taste of that on our Patreon page. Like I mentioned, we have exclusive Patreon episodes, which are more of like uh, us talking about the events, uh, the current events of Star Wars. Our last exclusive Patreon episode was on our impressions of the first episode of The Bad Batch. Mm -hmm. And uh, the next one will probably be impressions on... uh, bad batch episode two and three probably um so you know if you if you're interested in that you can check that out um and then of course our facebook page uh i don't manage it as closely as i used to just because i don't have a lot of time (laughs) again that's where we want to bring other people in to do those things um but you can like it share the podcast we post when there's new episodes share those with your friends right um we really appreciate it um but i think with that 
we'll we'll say adieu again thank you guys again for all your support and we hope you enjoyed this first episode of our new rogue one deep dive i certainly did i did as well perfect so with that we will say adieu bye-bye everybody bye